Okay, it's time to commit. 2024 is the year for prioritizing yourself. Begin your new smile journey with Byte, and you could start seeing results in just two to three weeks. Just order your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95 at Byte.com. Byte clear liners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces, plus they offer financing options, accept eligible insurance, and you could pay with your HSA, FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Ah. The comfort of your favorite seat is now your comfy car-selling command center, thanks to Carvana. It doesn't get any better than this. Your favorite seat's the best spot in the house. Make it even better by entering your license plate or VIN and getting a real offer in minutes. There really is no place like home. And speaking of home, Carvana will pick up your car from yours after you finalize your offer. Visit Carvana.com or download the app and sell your car from your comfy place. This is the Tom Hartman Program. Greetings, my friends, patriots, lovers of democracy, truth, and justice, believers in peace, freedom, and the American way. In just a moment, Joe Cirincione will be with us about what's going on in Ukraine and large-scale ecological disaster. Got a lot to talk about there. Also, I want to get into my rant today from Hartman Report. Ukraine again shows why decentralized energy is essential. Uh, we've lost 45 years to the fossil fuel billionaires and their Republican toadies who've kept us dependent on fossil fuels to keep their profits high since Jimmy Carter proposed that, well, I'll get into all that in just a, in a little bit. Also, the shock of the autocrats, money, and corruption. But first, Joe Sorrentzioni is on the line with us. He's the Distinguished Non-Resident Fellow at the Quincy Institute, former president of the Plowshares Fund, national security analyst, author of seven books, including Nuclear Nightmares, secure, Securing the World Before It's Too Late, and Bomb Scare, the History and Future of Nuclear Weapons. He served on the International Security Advisory Board for Secretaries of State Hillary Clinton and John Kerry and was an advisor to the presidential campaign of Barack Obama, Bernie Sanders, and Elizabeth Warren. Quincy Institute, uh, INST, QuincyINST.org is the website. His Twitter handle is Cirincione, C-I-R-I-N-C-I-O-N-E, uh, with an at at the beginning. Joe, welcome back. It's been quite some time since you've been on the program. I'm so glad you could make it. Well, thank you very much for having me, Tom. And that is the most complete introduction I think I've ever had. <laughs> I want people to know who you are because you, you, you're an impressive guy and you've done some impressive stuff. And I have a lot of respect for your opinion, which is why thank I want to run, run some of these things past you. Let me just throw a couple of data points at you and, and, uh, and get your response to them. Um, the, the first is that uh, the... The, uh, the, the former foreign minister of Russia from 1990 to 1996 and a member of the Duma until 2000, Andrei Kozryev, uh, it was had a long tweet this weekend that I thought was absolutely fascinating. He, he was talking about, you know, lots of discussion about how uh, Putin is threatening nukes. And he says, uh, he, he, goes, he sets up three predicates. He says, uh, you know, first of all, 
Uh, Putin has spent the last 20 years believing that Ukraine is not a real nation. Um, and uh, number two, the Russian military. Uh, the Kremlin has spent 20 years trying to modernize its military, but so much of that money has been basically stolen by oligarchs, and Putin has no idea how bad his own military is to him because people are afraid to tell him the truth. And number three, the West, um, Putin believed that Biden was morally incompetent, that the EU was weak because of how toothless the 2014 sanctions were, and then he watched the way that we withdrew from Afghanistan and figured, okay, this is going to be a cakewalk. I'm going to take on the West. I'm going to take on Ukraine. And, and, he, and he wraps this whole thing up by saying, you know, essentially the bottom line is that so, in my opinion, Putin is a rational actor. Given that he is rational, I strongly believe he will not intentionally use nuclear weapons against the West. I say intentionally because indiscriminately shelling near a nuclear plant can cause an in unintentional nuclear disaster. And he says, I'll take it a step further. The threat of nuclear war is another example of his rationality. The Kremlin knows it can try to extract concessions, whether from Ukraine or the West, by saber-rattling its last remaining card in the deck. The ultimate conclusion here is that the West should not agree to any unilateral concessions or limited support of Ukraine too much for the fear of nuclear war. Now, at the same time, I'm understanding that, that uh, Putin's negotiating stance has changed, and he said basically, if you recognize Crimea and Donbass, we will stop. So let me just dump all that in your lap and get your thoughts on all this, because it looks to me like we're looking at 1939 Germany all over again. Well, there's lots of historical comparisons here. You can look at 1939 Poland. You can look at the Cuban Missile Crisis. You can look at the scares of the 1980s to see where we are. And you've heard the word unprecedented used a lot in this crisis, and that's because so much of this is uncharted territory. We have never been here before. I mean, uh, you know, Putin made nuclear threats repeatedly against the West. Maybe it's this rational you know, the game playing that, uh, that that some believe. Uh, it's also part of Russian doctrine. Russian nuclear forces are intimately uh, integrated into uh, their Russian conventional doctrines. So, for example, Putin exercised uh, seven different nuclear-capable weapons in the exercises he conducted on Ukraine's border right before the invasion. So this is, this is right there. I, I, I am very hesitant to embrace any analysis that says it's a bluff, that he won't do it, or that, that indicates that we can go ahead, for example, and intervene in the Ukrainian war because uh, we can back Putin down. Uh, you do not want to roll the nuclear dice here. And there's several reasons for that. Let me just do two of them. Um, one is that part of Russian strategy and U.S. strategy is what they call integrated deterrence. That is, that all the, the instruments of coercion, economic, conventional, cyber, nuclear, are all inter integrated into a joint sort of combat plan about how you would wage a war. Russia does it, we do it. So, and the, the theory is that that will strengthen your deterrence. That will deter foes from engaging in conflict with you. Well, what the trouble is, once they do engage in conflict, as Putin is doing, then there really is the, the fire breaks between nuclear and conventional or nuclear and cyber and conventional are really blurred. And it becomes very easy to breach them in ways really that we haven't ever seen before, at least not since the 1950s and, and 60s. So here's here's Putin, who in the heat of battle, yes, he might decide that he needs to use a nuclear weapon to achieve his objectives. But there's another complication, 
which is in Russian doctrine, there's something called escalate to de-escalate. It's not clear that Putin believes in this. It's not clear it's integrated. But the theory goes, and Russians have written about it, that you would use a nuclear weapon first in a battle if you were losing the war. So if Putin starts to lose this war, something that was unimaginable a week ago, or it goes into an extended stalemate, or that he feels that the NATO and U.S. forces are going too far, then he would use a nuclear weapon first to signal the seriousness of his intent, to get the West to back off. And the argument goes it would be a small enough nuclear weapon, maybe half the size of a Hiroshima bomb, a tenth of the size, still much more powerful than any conceivable conventional explosive, still causing immense damage, but small enough that the West would back off. The trouble is, in any war game that we've played on on this, once one side uses a nuclear weapon, the other side does not retreat. They feel they have to meet it in kind or even escalate in, in response, they're, they're, and like a gambler looking to, you know, to, who bets the house because he's losing at poker, you keep looking for that next move that you believe will be the decisive move. And in nuclear war games, what that means is the struggle, the fight just escalates until everyone is throwing everything in and the game is over. So th- that's my concern about being a little too glib about n- nuclear use here. Is there a is there a, a dividing line, as it were, between strategic and tactical nukes? I mean, you know, I, I think when we talk about nuclear war, the possibility of nuclear war, most Americans flash back to duck and cover and giant missiles coming and taking out New York, Los Angeles, and Chicago. But in fact, it seems like what we're talking about are these battlefield nukes that Russia has hundreds of. We only have, I guess, fewer than 200 of them. And they're not, and ours are not as easily deployed. If what I'm reading is correct, and theirs are actually mobile on trucks and things, um, that you know, like like you said, I mean, it could could vaporize a, a city of a hundred thousand people, but are not something that is threatening Great Britain or the United States. Well, it depends where you are, whether you think this is a tactical weapon or a strategic weapon. Right. The distinction is mainly in range, not in size. So the weapons that we have that we consider tactical, for example, we have something called the B-61 bomb. It's an airdrop bomb. We have about 100, 150 of those stored in Europe, but we have hundreds more at home. So there is no... Russia does not enjoy any kind of advantage in tactical nuclear weapons. They tend to have more of them. They just haven't disassembled them from the Cold War. They have a couple of thousand, we believe, in storage. But, you know, once you go past a use of a few nuclear weapons, it really doesn't matter anymore. There's no numerical advantage here. So we, those tend to be about um, 150 kilotons. Uh, that's 10 times the size of Hiroshima. But they're a dial a yield, so you can dial them down. And this has been sort of the fad in nuclear policy in the last 10 years, both in the United States and in Russia, of going for new, more usable nuclear weapons. Some in our, our military feel that we are self-deterred from using nuclear weapons. If we have this powerful weapon, why don't we use it? Well, they're too big. Right. So yeah, let's so dial them it. down. Jo- right? Joe. Bring them down to like a point, a half a kiloton, a kiloton, still uh, you know, a thousand tons of destructive force. But that would be something we could use and might be able to get away with it. I get it. Um, Joe, we're 90 seconds away from a hard break I can't control. Um, should we be considering accepting Russia's nuclear or bargaining position and basically giving them a chunk of Ukraine? Will Ukraine go along with it? What's the best, what's the, what's the best way to resolve this? 
no one knows how this conflict is going to end. It's very difficult to see either side prevailing militarily. Um, so you have to be looking for a diplomatic off-ramp. That means compromise. That probably means Ukraine agreeing to some of Putin's territorial demands, however odious they might be. Although he's also demanding that they agree never to join NATO or the European Union. Uh, well, you know, that never is a long time. But, but that is what he's looking for. Neutral Ukraine, Crimea annexed to Russia, the republics in the Donbass region either joining Russia or being independent. Yes, those are his core demands. I don't think Ukraine is in any mood to agree to any of them right now. That may change um, as the, as do, the do you think it's possible that occupation continues? Do you think it's possible that Ukraine could actually beat the Russian military, or do you think at the point that looks like it's going to happen, Putin's going to roll out the nukes? I don't think there is a winning military hand here for Putin. Even if he pummels the cities and occupies the, the, the territory, he can't sustain it. It'll be his Afghanistan. Wow. Well, yeah, I, I think that's increasingly uh, apparent. It's, it's uh, remarkable. Joe, Joe Cirincioni, uh, non-resident fellow at the Quincy Institute, uh, author of numerous books, uh, most recently Nuclear Nightmares. Cirincioni on Twitter. Joe, thanks so much for dropping by. It's always... Thank you, Tom. Thank you. Always great and very useful to get your input. Thank you. Raymond in Battle Creek, Michigan. Hey, Raymond, what's on your mind today? Oh, hey, Tom. Thank you. I've been discussing with my friends and family, I wanted to support Ukraine, so I say, you know, I love democracy, and I talk about how democracy got spread throughout Europe during after World War II, and as they realize, some of them are Trump fans, as they realize, I can see the anger in their eyes, and and um, trying to catch these people before Fox News spins them off into the next thing. One thing that has been positive is I'll talk about how the forefathers warned of how money in politics could lead to something like this. But I really wanted to get this out onto your airwaves to help formulate this thought. Okay. So what specifically did you want to get out? The specific part is, is you know, a lot of these people who liked Trump, the Trump presidency, they did not want to see a coup. They just feel like they're not being represented the same as, you know, us. Yeah. And so uh, I want to catch them before, because I tried to listen to a little Fox News last week, and they are spinning faster than I can even uh, imagine. You oh, know, my head is... It's become a full-on propaganda channel. It's just, a, it's just breathtaking. But, I, you know, Raymond, if, if what you're talking about is the fact that Donald Trump uh, correctly, when he was channeling Bernie, basically, during the Republican primary, correctly pointed out, that both Democrats and Republicans have participated in Reagan's neoliberal scheme to ship our jobs overseas and, you know, and rebuild China instead of America, when he promised that he was going to raise taxes on rich people and lower taxes on average working people, obviously a blatant lie, but he promised that to get into office. Um, you know, when, when, he, when he talked about how politicians, particularly Republicans, right across the board are bought off by big corporations, I mean, that was his hit in one of the Republican primary debates. I, you know, I think a lot of people voted for him because they thought, oh, my God, here's a truth teller. You know, it, it was like, uh, I don't know if you ever saw the movie Bullworth, but, you know, it was very much like that. Uh, you know, the problem is that he was just lying through his teeth in almost every single instance. So is it your sense that as these Republicans are waking up to the fact that Trump is lying and we still have this problem of an entirely bought off Republican Party and at least two Democrats in the Senate that we know are bought off and probably a few more that that might help wake up Trumpies? Is that what you're saying? 
That's exactly what I'm trying to get to, Tom. And I, you know, because Bader, these are not, most of them are not bad people. They, right. they wanted, and this is a great time to, for everyone to unite, uh, you know, so I'm trying to keep it so that, that in that light. Yeah. Uh, and I'll let it go at that. And thanks, Tom, and have a great day. Yeah. Thank you, Raymond. Yeah. Let's not, let's not forget Donald Trump said, oh, yeah, I'll show you my tax returns as soon as I'm elected. You know, little did we know at the time. Well, I mean, you know, people like David K. Johnson had been trying to warn us for some considerable period of time that Trump was a liar and a grifter and, you know, all that kind of stuff. And that and that he was not promoting anything that, you know, other than tax breaks for billionaires and deregulation for the poisoning industries who uh, so generously line the pockets of the Republican Party. The, the question is, are Americans waking up to this? And the one thing that is going to make it tough, and I, I've really been seeing this in the last two weeks since Republicans have been screaming about, our sites are being censored on Google, and go over to DuckDuckGo and stuff like that, is that when I'm Googling issues or DuckDuckGoing issues for the op-eds that I've been writing, nine out of 10 of the top hits I get are right-wing sites. It's amazing. Sometimes Louise and I just crave a restaurant-quality dinner at home without doing all the work or driving. Well, Cook Unity is the first chef-to-you service delivering locally sourced meals from award-winning chefs right to your door every week. And it appears to be less expensive than other delivery options. Go to cookunity.com Hartman with two N's or enter the code Hartman with two N's before checking out for 50% off your first week. We just received our first meals from Cook Unity and what a huge difference it is to get the best chefs in the country to bring creative, delicious meals to us and you every week. Every meal is handcrafted by chefs and made in local micro kitchens, not large production facilities. We just had the chipotle maple glazed salmon with green beans and mango pico de gallo. It had everything we love in a meal. They have all sorts of options like vegan, paleo, pescatarian, gluten-free, and more. Menus are posted two weeks in advance so you have plenty of time to choose. Experience chef-quality meals every week delivered right to your door. Go to cookunity.com slash Hartman with two N's or enter the code Hartman with two N's before checking out for 50% off your first week. That's 50% off your first week by using the code Hartman or going to cookunity.com slash Hartman. Delve into the shadows of the mind with Sleeping Dogs, a gripping murder mystery starring Academy Award winner Russell Crowe. Now available on digital. Crow portrays an ex-homicide detective, unraveling a brutal murder he can't recall. Uncovering secrets from his past, he learns a chilling truth. It's best to let sleeping dogs lie. Visit sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery to watch Sleeping Dogs. Now on digital. That's sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery. Welcome back. Tom Hartman here with you. Okay, my, my op-ed over at HartmanReport.com is, again, about oil in Ukraine, but a, a slightly different twist on it. You will recall that back in the day, President Jimmy Carter came out and said that, you know, it's time for us to, to do something about the fact that we are so dependent on, on fossil fuel from foreign sources and that, you know, we, we really need to do something about that. 
And that was 1979. He, he gave a speech about this in 77, and then he, his big speech in 79. In fact, I've got a clip here from it, if I can find it. Here it is, right here. The energy crisis is real. It is worldwide. It is a clear and present danger to our nation. These are facts, and we simply must face them. What I have to say to you now about energy is simple and vitally important. Point one, I am tonight setting a clear goal for the energy policy of the United States. Beginning this moment, this nation will never use more foreign oil than we did in 1977. Never. This was July 15th, 1979. Moreover, I will soon submit legislation to Congress calling for the creation of this nation's first solar bank, which will help us achieve the crucial goal of 20% of our energy coming from solar power by the year 2000. So the point that I'm making in the op-ed is that, first of all, you know, here we are 45 years later, or 43 years later, 45 years after his first energy speech in 77, and of course everything he tried to do, setting up the solar bank, putting solar po uh, panels on people's houses, he wanted five billion dollars to fund that so that everybody in America could solarize their house or a large, you know, we could begin the process. All of that ended with the election of Ronald Reagan. Reagan took Carter's solar panels off the roof of the White House, ended the programs, just killed everything as a, at the behest of his oil donors. But my point is, right now you're seeing now a second nuclear plant being attacked in Ukraine by the Russians. If they did not have centralized power, if everybody had solar panels on their roof, Russia wouldn't be able to cut off their communication to the outside world or their heat or their electricity because they would have it right there on their roofs. We need to do the same thing here. Yes, we're not at war. We're not under attack from Mexico or Canada, but we are under attack from right-wing militias in this country. And there have been several attempts to blow up power plants in the United States by these right-wingers just in the last couple of years. We need to diversify our energy sources and we need to localize our energy sources and get off the addiction to these giant power plants. You're listening to the Tom Hartman Program. What say you to all this? One other thing I wanted to just put on the table to talk about, you know, in our conversation, I'll pick up your calls in just a second. Uh, Louise and I were talking about this yesterday afternoon, and, and I wanted to share it with you. I'm guessing that we're not alone in this. Uh, just, you know, watching the refugees on TV and watching that uh, family of four that got shelled by the Russians and immediately murdered by Putin's planes, it was shocking and painful. And... Frankly, I don't think that Putin's going to stop with Ukraine if he succeeds. I, frankly, I don't think he's going to succeed. I think, he's, I think he's put his foot in Afghanistan and he's starting to realize it. But if he were to succeed, I think he would next be going after Moldova and then Hungary and then Poland and then he'd go after the Baltic states. I think he's trying to pull a Hitler on 1939, you know, what, what Germany did in 39 when they invaded Poland. And in fact, I, I really think he would be going after Hungary you know, which, which shares a border with Ukraine. So, you know, it's easy to get in because he thinks that he has a fellow autocrat in Viktor Orban there. I mean, you know, this is the reason why Tucker Carlson and Fox News are embracing Orban because he's, you know, he's stacked the courts. He's, he's uh, turned the media, the entire media of the country over to his buddies, over to his oligarchic buddies. I mean, you know, Hungary is kind of a mini Russia in many regards. It still is sort of a democracy, and it is a member of the EU and of NATO, 
but you know, Orban and Putin have been very, very close, and and, that, and so I think that they were they were you know that he's thinking that. So, in my opinion, rather than just being shocked and depressed by all this, I think that we need to use this moment to look back at ourselves and how close we got to being what Russia is right now when we allowed George W. Bush and Dick Cheney to lie us into bombing the crap out of Afghanistan and Iraq, probably most importantly Iraq, although Afghanistan had, a, had offered to arrest bin Laden for us. Um, George W. Bush said, no, I'd rather have a war. It helps me get reelected. Um, but then he lied us into this war, totally lied us into this war in Iraq. And, you know, which is not that different from what Putin is doing right now in Ukraine. It's just that it wasn't televised. We didn't have reporters on the ground in Iraq. We didn't, you know, the people of Iraq, uh, by and large, were not speaking English. It was not as well developed a country. They didn't have cell phones all over the place. They didn't have a good cell infrastructure. But we now know that an American president could do what Putin is doing right now. I mean, we, we should know this. We should know this from what happened in Vietnam, where we were lied into a war, what happened in Iraq, where we were lied into a war. And we need to put up guardrails so that the, so a future president can lie us into another war and, and try to Putinize America. And the key to that, in my opinion, is getting money out of politics. Because Putin is essentially an autocrat of the oligarchic variety. And oligarchies can only exist when politicians are corrupted by money. And Donald Trump was an oligarchic politician, an oligarch himself. And I'm seeing Rick Scott coming down the road, another oligarch, a multi-multi-millionaire oligarch um, who wants to be president. And, and he's got a bunch of people around him who are very, very wealthy as well, other, other Republicans who want to run for, for, for the White House. And it just, it just troubles me terribly. Um, and I think that we need to learn from this. this there, there, sh there must be an opportunity here to learn from this. So picking up your phone calls, Paul in Woodenville, Washington. Hey, Paul, what's on your mind? Thank you, Tom. I want to start with some uh, new vocabulary here. It's, uh, let's let's go. Let's move on from oligarchs to uh, kleptocrats. Uh, sure. Putin is a kleptocrat. Donald Trump is a kleptocrat, and kleptocrats uh, form kleptocracies, which basically steal from we the people, and they give it to their oligarch friends. So that's what we really have is a kleptocracy run by kleptocrats. The uh, you're, you're, what you're talking about Iraq there, and I'm gonna, my nuclear theory here is we were absolutely certain this 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 I will prove it to you that that Iraq had no nuclear weapons. We were certain, so it was more than just a lie. We were absolutely certain he didn't, and here's why: what Putin is proving is that our theory of nuclear deterrence is false. The one we've been living under for the last seventy plus years that uh, well, no one would launch a nuke because. Um, you know, mutually assured destruction. destruction. Yeah. Right. But that's if there's retaliation. And what we know is there won't be because and there shouldn't be because it's the retaliation that commits you to the volley, the endless volley that leads to all, all out destruction. Right. So what your guest was saying is that he's really nervous about uh, Putin using and Putin knows this. And frankly, all heads of state know this. And that's why, Tom, what other explanation is there that, no, we wouldn't retaliate because nothing else explains why we are sitting back and letting somebody, Ukraine, get the crap kicked out of them in the middle of the street in front of our house just because they don't live in our NATO neighborhood. 
And that's because they say, oh, we can't have a no-fly zone because we can't have direct conflict with Russia because we know that Putin knows what we know, which is if he launches a small tactical nuke, we will not respond, uh, retaliate. And nobody – see, what we're trying to do is avoid showing that we have an old maid card in our hand, that we have a card we can't play. Right. That's what we're trying to avoid is to show that we can't retaliate. Well, I, you know, I'm no military strategist, but it seems to me that if we were to say something like, if you use battlefield nukes in Ukraine, then expect a 50-mile corridor between the Ukrainian border and the, on the Russian side of the Ukrainian border, you know, stretching 400 miles, to be bombed into rubble you know, by, with conventional forces or something like that. I mean, you know, just, just threaten some sort of draconian response that is not nuclear. Is that what you're talking about? No, I'm not. I'm, I, I think that, I don't know what, I'm just, what I'm saying is we cannot retaliate with nukes. I'm saying that the old theory, the old deterrent theory of mutually assured destruction. No, is I, I get that, all, but, but are you yeah. saying that, uh, so let me just uh, try to understand what you're saying, Paul. Are you saying that we should retaliate in a way that isn't nuclear? I gave you an example. It's not one I'm advocating, yeah. but just, you know, pulling some idea out of the hat. Um, that, yeah. that we should uh, yeah, threaten I, I, to respond yeah. in a non-nuclear way, or we should simply say, you know, if you use battlefield nukes, it's all good with us. We're going to still continue to send weapons into Ukraine. We're still, you know, you're going to still end up with a with an ongoing insurgency on your hands. It isn't going to work for you anyway. So, you know, uh, do your best. Yeah, I think that's right. And then what what has to happen is, uh, I mean, at this point, it has to be Russia has to be under siege. In other words, it has to be completely choked off, surrounded, and we we should block the uh, their their uh, their ports of entry. Uh, so that nothing can come in or out of Russia. And yeah. so if they will push back at that, and also on the uh, on the Pacific side, they will have to do something about that. They will they will get aggressive about that. But what what else can we do? Uh, uh, Putin is just wrecking the country for no reason, and we're standing there watching it. And people, we, you know, I heard somebody, one of the uh, Biden administration uh, military officials say, well, we can't confront him with, uh, you know, a no-fly zone because that would lead to all-out war. Well, I guarantee you that people in Ukraine think it's all-out war now, right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So uh, no, it, it absolutely is, and and like I said, I don't, I don't bear, I, I, I carry no illusions that Putin is going to stop if if he is successful with Ukraine, that he's going to stop there. I, you know, the the good news is that he so far he's not been successful, and it looks like he's bogged down. And now, just in the last six or eight hours, he has come out and said, "Okay, we'll stop. Okay, well, here's all you have to do." And you know, in other words, there's it looks like some. Wait, he just came up with terms. Here's the term. Here's my terms for for releasing the hostages. And so I think what what also just to finish up here, Tom, is that what we have what Putin's also shown, or what we've shown, based on the Budapest Accord, the Budapest Agreements, is that why the hell would anybody, Iran, North Korea, nobody should give up their nukes now because we didn't support Ukraine. We did not guarantee Ukraine sovereignty when they gave up their nukes like we oh, have yeah. to do. I, I made that point last week. I mean, you know, yeah. Iran has to be looking at this going, oh, you want us to give up our nukes just like Ukraine gave up its nukes? <laughs> right, <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah, exactly. Think again. Paul, thank you. Yeah, well said. Tina in Saint, uh, or San Dimas, California. Hey, Tina, what's on your mind today? Hi, Tom. Thanks for accepting my call. Sure. Um, I had a quick um, question. Would it be possible for the uh, the West to continue to support the Ukrainians militarily um, for 
you know, an indefinite amount of time. I know there'll be terrible loss of life, but um, to continue to help them militarily until these sanctions take effect in Russia and, you know, see what type of economic collapse happens in Russia, if the oligarchs get more involved, if um, Putin is overthrown, would that be a possible scenario? I think that is the scenario that they're working on right now, Tina. And, you know, there there are guesses. There were so, a couple of interesting pieces this morning in the Financial Times and another one over on Business Insider, you know, basically speculating how long before the Russian economy really and truly collapses. Um, now, they are, uh, their, their credit card companies are now looking at building a relationship with a Chinese uh, credit card clearance company that doesn't use dollars um, because MasterCard and Visa have cut them off. But, um, you know, and there's some speculation that Russia could last as long as six months before there's, you know, basically a popular uprising that takes down Putin. There's other speculation that he won't last another two weeks. Um, you know, if he if if he keeps this up, the big thing I think is Maersk. You know, this giant shipping conglomerate, and the, and the other one I'm forgetting the name of it. But these two companies control some mind-boggling percentage, like over 90 percent of all the container ships going in and out of Russia. And they have both said we're not going to deliver anything. So blue jeans, iPhones, you know, whatever it may be, consumer goods, right? So this is going to bite hard. Uh, it it is biting hard right now in Russia. The tragedy, yeah. uh, Tina, is you know what I'm hearing from, and 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 I've heard this from several different sources now over the weekend. Um, you know, news reports where people are talking to Ukrainians in Ukraine who have relatives in Russia, and they call their. In one case, it was this restaurant owner guy who's been on TV a lot on MSNBC, uh, or maybe it's CNN, and and uh, you know who's been sheltering people in his restaurant basement. He called his father, who lives in Russia. And his father said, you know, you, you Ukrainians, you need to stop shelling your own cities. You know, I'm seeing this on TV right now. I'm seeing how the Ukrainian army is destroying its own cities to try to blame it on Russia. And I don't think it's right. And, and, and the, the son who, who lives in Ukraine is saying, no, no, it's Russians who are killing us. And his father's like, no, no, the Russians are bringing food and warm clothing. Russia, you know, our Russian soldiers would never do that. And, and this has now become a propaganda war. And the question is, how much can seep through Russian media now that they've blocked Facebook and they've made it a 15-year in prison penalty for even using the word war or invasion? You know, how much can, can leak through? I don't know the answer to that, but, you know, the, the protests in Russia appear to be exploding. Tina, I got to run, but thank you for the call. It's, it's, a, it's an extraordinary moment in history, an absolutely extraordinary moment in history, and a human tragedy. We'll be back. You're listening to Tom Hartman. Visit TomHartman.com for audio and video archives. And, of course, who's trying to make the most of this horrible moment? Every Republican in the employ of the fossil fuel industry. It's mind-boggling. Quick math. The less your business spends on operations, on multiple systems, on delivering your product or service, the more margin you have and the more money you keep. But with higher expenses on materials, employees, distribution, and borrowing, everything costs more. NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system, bringing accounting, financial management, inventory, HR, all into one platform and one source of truth. With NetSuite, you reduce IT costs because NetSuite lives in the cloud with no hardware required. It's accessible from anywhere. You cut the cost of maintaining multiple systems because you've got one unified business management suite. You improve efficiency by bringing all your major business processes 
into one platform, slashing manual tasks and errors. Over 37,000 companies have already made the move. So do the math. See how you'll profit with NetSuite. By popular demand, NetSuite has extended its one-of-a-kind flexible financing program for a few more weeks. Head to netsuite.com slash Hartman with two N's. netsuite.com slash Hartman. That's netsuite.com slash Hartman. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. Omar in Herndon, Virginia. Hey, Omar, what's on your mind today? Tom, the prophet, truth, justice, democracy, peace, prosperity, common good, and the American way. Good day to you, sir. Okay. Um, I'm calling, Tom, I was watching, you know, first of all, I want to say, I don't trust Lindsey Scam. You know, Lindsey Graham, but I call him Lindsey Scam. He came out talking about uh, Putin to be assassinated. I, I, don't, I don't trust that. Next week, he's going to be saying Putin is a great man. So, yeah. so I don't trust him. Like he um, was last but, week. Exactly. But, Tom, it was very interesting. I was watching uh, uh, TFL, which is a French uh, channel, and they had a former KGB who defected to France. And basically he said that, one, um, the Russian equipment are really not very good because they have not been spending money on that. And second, there are a lot of Ukrainians in the Army, in the military, and also in the uh, uh, KGB uh, Secret Service. And the reason why, and this is something he talked about, Toxic masculinity. Apparently, Zelensky made a comment about Putin that he used uh, Botox for breakfast, lunch, and dinner. And hmm. it's making him look old instead of young. Putin heard of that. And since then, he wanted to take out um, uh, uh, Putin. And he's been trying for years. Yeah. Zelensky, I'm sorry, Zelensky. And for years, he'd been trying to assassinate him. And it's been foiled by. Ukrainian inside the KGB, a former descendant of Ukraine who are inside the KGB. I'm hearing those reports too. I mean, none of this is verified, Omar, but but a lot of it might explain. Excuse me, might explain why things are not going quite as well as Mr. Putin would like. Exactly, and also explain. But since he made that comment and it got to Putin, he wanted just the reason why he's invading because he wanted to just kill Zelensky, yeah. and that's why because uh, you were reporting a couple of weeks ago that. They moved 400 missionaries from from Africa. Their sole mission is to call Zelensky. So this is this toxic maximality that that you always talk about. You know that that because someone made a comment about him, he's about to destroy the war. Yeah. And it's really it's really is mind-boggling. And I think this is an opportunity for the West to remove Putin because one, tighten up the sanction and let the war go bad, and they're going to have more bad body bags coming in and people are going to turn against him. I, I think, think Putin's going to remove himself. And and uh, frankly, you know, uh, I get, you know, Joe Serencioni saying there is no military solution to this. I'm beginning to think that there might be. And that is that the Ukrainians fight back the Russians to the point where the Russians just like they did in Afghanistan, just say, OK, it's mm -hmm. not worth it. We're going to pull out of here. And by the way, let's not forget. That, that bin Laden bled the Russians the same way he said he was going to, you know, he, he said that his attack on 9-11 on was going to cost us trillions of dollars. It did. 
Um, yeah. and, but he, but you know, we had the surplus. Russia didn't. He bled the Russians to the point that the that the Soviet state. Uh, it wasn't the Russians. It was the Soviets at the time. He bled them to the point that the Soviet state collapsed. And yeah. and I yeah. think that it's entirely possible if the Ukrainians don't negotiate. Now, I, you know, I, I'm not advocating that position. I always think negotiation is better than war. Period. People die in wars. But if the Ukrainians say, no, we're not going to give you Donbass, we're not going to acknowledge Crimea, we are not going to become a neutral country, if they hold that position and continue to fight, I think it could bring down Putin in a matter of months. I really do. Yep. yep. So, Thank you, Tom. Yeah. Thanks, Omar. We'll see how this shakes out and, uh, you know, and what happens. But I think, frankly, that might be the best thing for Russia, too, because, you know, Russia has tremendous potential if it would just adopt a system of government that was not horribly corrupt, to use Paul's term, a kleptocracy. And uh, welcome back, Malcolm in Bluebell, Pennsylvania. Hey, Malcolm, you want to talk about the trucker tantrum here? Yes, sir. Um, once again, I think you have to follow the money. I'm on the interstate right now. If you notice with Big Rig, they have two gas tanks, one on the left and one on the right. And right now, this morning, gas is over $5 a gallon for diesel fuel. So I think a lot of these politicians are supporting it because the fossil fuel company is laughing to the bank. Because you're driving trucks, they get three to four miles per gallon. It's over $1,000 to fill up your gas tank, and that's just diesel fuel. So what's your, other than the obvious self-defeating, uh, you know, impact of spending thousands of dollars to drive to Washington, D.C. to protest mass mandates that no longer exist, um, is there another point you're trying to make here, Malcolm? My point is like the Tea Party. I think most of these truckers are getting funded to actually pay for the fuel, and it just gives the media another soundbite to get behind. Oh, they are. The they're, 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 they're running GoFundMe campaigns, and there have been right-wingers who have been funding this, this thing. Yeah, absolutely. Just, you're absolutely right, just like the Tea Party. Um, you know, this is just another another scam. Right. I don't know how to say it's it. It's not a smart vehicle to try and drive across country with at least diesel fuel being at a record price yeah. right now. Yeah. This and is one last thing real quick. The owner of the Brooklyn Nets basketball team was a Russian oligarch who sold the team, I believe, in 2019. He's a well-known Russian politician as well as billionaire, and it's been suggested that Putin maybe forced him to sell the organization. It's the Brooklyn Nets NBA team. Oh, that's interesting. Okay. Thanks a lot for that, Malcolm. Ray in Lancaster, California. Hey, Ray, what's up? Hi, Tom. Thank you for uh, another great show, and thanks for taking my call. Tom, we need to be very efficient to avoid these trillions of dollars. Of, uh, we're spending these trillions of dollars and all the, the lies, which is so sad to see on television. We should think of Putin as a cancer that's metastasizing. We've tried chemotherapy. We're trying chemotherapy with the, all the financial th sanctions. And if that doesn't work, and we, we should really think about doing this quickly, maybe uh, going in uh, quietly and taking Putin and his lieutenants out, you know, get rid of the head of the snake, yeah. you know, otherwise A, Ray, easier said than done B, governments yeah. don't do that because sure. every government okay. wants to make, you know, the head of every government in the world wants to make sure that they're not next and and that's sure. that's like a, a red line that governments just very, very, very rarely cross I mean, we had lots of opportunities to take out Hitler during World War II and we chose not to sure. for that reason yeah, we, we, 
But what do you think about, you know, we got rid of Osama bin Laden and Saddam Hussein. We went in there and got rid of them, and, and then they weren't nearly as dangerous as Putin, in my opinion. What, what do you think? Yeah, they were, they were not. You're, you're right. They were not even remotely as dangerous as Putin. And yes, yeah. we, we did go after them. There was a semblance of due process with regard to Saddam Hussein. But with Gaddafi, we just you know, hit him with a missile or a drone strike and knocked yeah. him down badly enough that his own people could take him, if my memory serves me right. Sure. But I don't think that's the solution, Ray. I, I, I get it, and I get yeah. it that a lot of Americans sure. are like seriously pissed off and you know yeah. watching death and destruction and children and and you know and now we're hearing from one of these cities in ukraine reports of uh, russian soldiers now that they've subdued the cities are are literally raping women i mean you know it's just it really pisses you off that said war has to be conducted within certain parameters i don't know Ray. it's like great thanks a lot for the call we'll see how this shakes out we'll be right back stick around I wanted to tell you, I think that uh, these truckers have just been punked. I mean, <laughs> this is the, uh, not only is it being reported, the, the so-called freedom convoy, right? Uh, they, they got to Washington, D.C., and then they were afraid to go into D.C. because they thought it was a trap. And so they started hanging out outside of D.C. And then they started uh, spreading this bizarre conspiracy theory that the reason... That, that, that uh, now get this, you know, I, I, I think I mentioned this on Friday, but just it's worth <laughs> revisiting that Vladimir Putin and Donald Trump, who are close friends, have been trying to bomb a factory that makes deadly viruses, bioweapons in Ukraine that was set up by Dr. Anthony Fauci. And that's what's going on in Ukraine. That's what it's all about. The whole Ukraine thing is. Putin and Trump are trying to stop Fauci from creating bioweapons that will destroy life on Earth. And some of these truckers have bought into this. And now they're, they're and, and then yesterday, you know, they tried driving the ring road around D.C. And apparently they caused a bunch of accidents because they're driving so slow. And I, I just find this so, I mean, pathetic isn't even quite the right word. I mean... Franklin Delano Roosevelt said, the only thing we have to fear is fear itself. Ronald Reagan said, Mr. Gorbachev, tear down that wall. Abraham Lincoln said, though passion may have strained, it must not break our bonds of affection. What does the trucker convoy say? We don't want to wear masks. We really don't. When we go into truck stops, we don't want to have to wear masks. No, we really don't want to. And we don't want to have to get a shot. Oh, please, don't, don't come at us with that syringe. We really don't want to. Uh, this is pathetic. I don't know how else to describe it. Dave in Federal Way, Washington. Hey, Dave, what's on your mind today? Hey, Tom. First of all, I wanted to say you sell yourself short. You're a genius. And if it wasn't, um, if it wasn't for Joe Biden, I mean, I'm glad Joe Biden's president. Uh, because, look, we know this is not really about the Ukraine as far as the Kremlin goes. This is about what many Ukrainians were or I'm sorry, Russians were saying over the weekend. They were saying, look, we have nothing against uh, the Ukraine. We just really want to be more like the Ukraine. Vladimir Putin and the Siloviki, right, the, the professional um, uh, lifelong bureaucrats in Russia, which we have very many similar ones here in America. We just don't call them that. 
they prefer authoritarianism. It keeps yep. them uh, prosperous. And this is about and it feeds Russia their kleptocracy. Uh, you know, uh, Paul earlier said we've got to stop calling it our oligarchy and start calling it kleptocracy. I think they're the same thing. Yeah, yeah, roughly the same thing. Okay, right. If you don't like, you know, uh, Russian um, euphemisms for things, kleptocracy works. It's, lo- it's yeah. a lot better than all- well. As far as like the autocrat, or I'm sorry, the oligarchs go, what scares me is I hear Vladimir Putin's not even listening to him. He's listening yeah. to the old bureaucrats. And again, I agree with you. I don't think Russia's going to stop. Like I said, I don't really think this is about Ukraine. This is more about Moscow. And the thing is, is I've talked to you before about the smart Republicans. I don't think you really, you know, but the thing is, is the Sinclair group's already starting it, Tom. Sinclair's already saying Vladimir Zelensky just wants to be an icon. Oh, really? You're talking to the right-wing television stations, over 200 TV stations across the country? They're running op-eds trashing Zelensky? Yes. Uh, It is, um... Atkinson, Cheryl Atkinson did it over the weekend. She's oh my a huge force and play. Yeah, thank you, Dave. Wow. Assuming Dave is, is accurate, uh, every time you think that the right wing has hit a new low, they surprise you again. Okay, picture this, it's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. in Nashville, Tennessee. Hey, Ken, what's on your mind today? Yeah, good afternoon, Mr. Tom. I have a question for you. It's kind of a theory or a conspiracy theory, I suppose you might say. You know, you have the constant lies and misdirections of Trump. Uh, Re-COVID is one of the many. Putin keeps telling lies like Ukraine and Nazis and everything. And the current thing about Q and the conspiracy talk of, oh, it's Trump and Putin, you know, bombing a secret Fauci factory pumping out neurotoxins. Why does this all sound the same to me? Why does this sound like it's a similar or the same source? I think it's mostly coming from Russian trolls. That's what I was about to say. Could it be Russian trolls? Could it be Putin? Could it be uh, Donald Trump Jr. or any combination thereof? Yeah, this is called information warfare. And the Russians have been directing it at us since 2016 aggressively. Uh, arguably since mid-2015, when Donald Trump jumped into the primaries. And, yes. and uh, you know, I mean, the Ukrainians have been on the act. The North Koreans have been in on the act. Um, uh, and, 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 and apparently some of the Middle Eastern potentates have been on the, in on the act as well. But, uh, you know, the principal source of it has been Russia. And, and, you know, they're exploiting the algorithms that these social media companies use. Uh, they've figured it out. Um, and I, I, frankly, I think that both the Trump presidency and Brexit were Russian, you know, intelligence operations that, that you know, we got nailed for. So, yeah, Ken, I, I think you're absolutely right. Ken, I got to move along, but thank you for the call. Pat in San Diego. Hey, Pat, what's up? 
Hi, Tom. Thank you so much for your wonderful program. Um, I'm super concerned that all the air has been sucked out of our media by Ukraine, and we have our own uh, dictator in the making here in this country. And I wanted to uh, make sure that you, uh, well, uh, that maybe there's a way to to get um, this uh, traitor, Charles Flynn, out of our military. I'm not sure if you were aware that Trump uh, started the uh, the gears to put him into this very powerful position as head of the Pacific Fleet, That's if right. you can believe yeah. he's, he's and Michael he's, Flynn's and he, yeah, brother. Yeah, he, he's Michael Flynn's brother, and he was in on the phone call, by the way, that uh, well, actually oh. several of them, but yeah. And Trump put him in in those last few days after he had been voted out, and he knew he didn't, he wouldn't have the power. He started replacing these top positions in our military, in our Department of Defense, yeah. and this is one of them. And this man has a lot of power as being head of the Pacific Fleet. And I don't know who to contact in in Congress or where to get them to do something about this. You know, any wrong move in this war. Uh, with Russia could could start something, and this man has a lot of of uh, power. I would think. I would um, let me just see here uh, which committees Kana is on. Um, Congressman Kana, he's yeah he's on the he's on the House Armed Services Committee. You could start with <laughs> reaching out to Congressman Ro Kana. Um, I'm sure if you just Googled who is on the House Armed Services Committee and who is on the Senate Armed Services Committee, you'd have a great list and a great place to start. Because I, I agree with you. I think that Charles Flynn is a security risk. I don't know if you caught it, but over the weekend, James Comey was writing that uh, there are a number of FBI agents who are Trumpies, who, uh, you know, Trump got embedded into the FBI or just, you know, hey, you know, oh, authoritarians I'm love authoritarians. Great. And they're trying to slow walk prosecutions of January 6th people. Or there you go. Slow walk the Ray, head of the FBI, is the one that sabotaged the FBI investigation of, of uh, Kavanaugh. Yeah. And he You're gave right. away yeah. all of the tips to, uh, to Trump instead of pursuing them. So we cannot trust that man, and he's the head of our FBI. Yeah, I'm with you. Pat, thank you for the call. Karen in Waynesville, North Carolina. Hey, Karen, what's on your mind today? Thanks for watching us on Free Speech. Yeah, I'm also, I'm actually listening more on TuneIn Radio because my internet's not really very good. But anyway. Okay. Um, good, too. <laughs> uh, I just want to, you were talking earlier about Jimmy Carter's push for alternative energy and then Ronald Reagan destroying that. My father was literally a rocket scientist, worked on the Manhattan Project and everything, and he was at Westinghouse towards the end of his career working on alternative energy. And his name is on the patent that is the the, the big windmills that Seaman produces. Mm -hmm. um, he developed that at Westinghouse, and then when Reagan got elected, um, all the subsidies to Westinghouse from the government were shut down, and they had to shut down their R&D department, and he was forced to retire early. Amazing. And, um, yeah, and and it was, it was luckily before he passed away, um, that he was able to see that um, that windmill pictured on Business Weekly it was it was the cover photo, and um, he goes, "Oh, that was mine." You know, he had, he got to take that pride in it, even though he never got a penny out of it, and it never was manufactured by Westinghouse. Yeah. Um, so anyway, it's, uh, that it's, was, you know what's truly 
uh, amazing, Karen, is how completely down the memory hole Jimmy Carter's efforts have gone. I mean, you know, I, yesterday when I was writing this op-ed for today, I listened to, uh, to his entire 1977 speech. It was uh, 40 minutes longer thereabouts. And his entire 1979 speech, which was, as I recall, around 35 minutes. And he was so clear. You know, he, he was like, you know, we've got to get off oil. This is, the, we are addicted to other countries. It's, it's warping our geopolitics. It, it is causing, you know, inflation at home. It's, it's making us vulnerable to petrobillionaires, essentially. It is, I mean, he was so clear about this. And he had such great proposals. Mm -hmm. And had Reagan not destroyed Carter's initiatives, and had Bill Clinton brought them back, which he, he failed to do totally, um, it, right. we would, you know, I mean, Carter had us set up so that by the year 2000, 20% of all of the electricity in America would be produced from the solar and wind. I mean, you know, or just solar, actually. Yeah, we'd be in a different world. We really would. And, and we would be the leaders of that different world and, and, and people would yeah. get it. I mean, it's, it's just remarkable. Um, uh, are, are the, uh, is, was Siemens the only, is that the only company that's making the windmills that your dad invented? Uh, I don't know. I mean, they may have, you know, sold licensing, you know, after that, I mean, I knew nothing about the in, inner workings of any of that. Yeah. Yeah. You know, it is, um, it, it, he retired. Yeah. I'm sorry, go ahead. Oh, he retired and went into dementia, you know, not that long afterwards. And yeah. um, so, um, you know, and I know there's problems with the wind turbine designs and there's probably, you know, updates need to happen, upgrades need to happen. There's different ways. There's just a hundred thousand different ways to get energy that's renewable. Yeah, that's From so tides, true. Get tidal power, you know, solar, wind, water, you know, everything. Biomass, and geothermal. It's, it's, yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, all of it. Karen, yeah. thank you. Yeah. Thank you very much for the call. Thank you. And, Wonderful and show. Thank you. Thank okay. you. Back at you and, and, a, and, a, and a nice memory for your father. Thank you. John in Phoenix. Hey, John, what's on your mind? Hi, Tom, long-time listener. Uh, thought I'd give a, uh, an update on the Joy situation. First of all, I'm pleased to hear about New Mexico's college. But as the bearer of bad news, uh, the postal board that had controls the Joy is, uh, has right now a, a five, five to three uh, majority over the Democrats. Uh, and at the end of last year, they... Uh, unanimously uh, appointed a gentleman by the name of Roman Martinez as the chairman. Right. A Democrat who's a pro DeJoy guy. Right. Uh, and the uh, people that uh, uh, Biden uh, nominated for the board are still pending Senate confirmation. One is a guy by the name of uh, Dan Taglarini, who... Uh, was at one point uh, Obama's GSA, General Services Administration uh, chief. So he seems like a safe bet. But the other guy that Biden nominated, and it confuses me, is a person by the name of Derek Kahn, who is a Republican. And uh, number two, he was a uh, chief advisor to Moscow Mitch. So if, it, if, if they're, you know, if the... Uh, 
you know, if they're confirmed, uh, there's one guy that's a holdover from uh, uh, Trump administration, a guy by the name of Barger. But uh, he's going to resign as soon as this con guy is uh, is confirmed. So even if all the confirmations go correct, it's going to have a five to four advantage for Republicans. And um, since there was a majority that, that voted for Martinez, and I think Martinez is a Republican. I don't mean to contradict you. But um, so it would be five to four. And um, it looks like the joy would, would stay at least until... December 22nd, when two of the Republicans, Moke and Zoller's terms are up, but, you know, if, if, if the uh, Democrats lose the House, then uh, that goes away. Well, so, they would have to lose uh, the Senate, actually. That's where the, the confirmations happen, right. not in the House. But, well, I'm sorry. But your point, yeah, is well, but your point is well taken, John. This is why I suggested to Congressman Khanna that Congress tomorrow morning needs to reverse the privatization of the post office. You know, the spinning of it off into a, into a separate corporation, an Amtrak kind of corporation, and, and just take it back. I mean, the post office is in the friggin' Constitution, for God's sake. It's an Article I, Section 8 of the Constitution, um, uh, and, and, or at least postal roads are. And, uh, you know, it was founded, it was the first post office in the United States official, you know, uh, was in Philadelphia by Ben Franklin, right? I mean, it, it is, sure. it is, uh, he was our first postmaster general. It is time to make the post office a federal agency once again and just, you know, eliminate all this nonsense and say, no, we're going to, you know, it, it, this is a, this is part of the commons. This is a function that is appropriately a government function. And it doesn't I need agree. to be a separate, you know, uh, and, and when Nixon spun it off in 71 so that he could, you know, start the privatization process, we need to reverse that right now. Um, I'm not hearing a lot of enthusiasm for that, but at least I was here pleased to hear Congressman Connor say, yes, good idea, or words to that effect. John, I got to run, right, but thank thanks for the update. Mike in Charleston, South Carolina. Hey, Mike, what's up? Before I get to my point about uh, making life more affordable for people who live paycheck to paycheck, we'll make a comment on Medicare now paying for these home testing kits uh, for COVID. I would like to see a, a law passed by Congress to require that all representatives and former representatives, like Dick Cheney, uh, et cetera, who made profit of the military, uh, that they have to declare any interest they have in something like this, that they will profit from it, and that 90% of the profits would then go towards research towards diabetes, which is a devastating disease. Now, sugar, in some people's mind, is evil and should be banned. It should be taken off the planet, so to speak. So that's like people talk about oil in the same way, okay? However, we have a need for oil right now. We cannot convert to new sources yet, and it's foolish not to be drilling and having safe new pipelines to transport oil and gas in our own country and pay for ourselves. Yeah. We are drilling, Mike. And as, as Jen Psaki pointed out, there are 9,600 oil leases where the oil companies could be drilling that they're just sitting on right now. They're just sitting on it. Meanwhile, they declared a $46 billion profit. They're using 40% of it to buy back their own stock so that their executives can buy a new mansion. That's what's going on with this criminal oil industry in the United States. 
We'll see you tomorrow. Same time, same place. In the meantime, get out there, get active, tag your it. There's so much that we can all do. Share the good stories with friends and family, eh? Have a great afternoon. Be good to yourself and the people around you. You've been listening to Tom Hartman. For audio and video archives, visit TomHartman.com.